Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This is the 10% Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. Hey, hey, this episode, this is a fascinating episode. This one started as an experiment and then blossomed into something pretty awesome, in my opinion. Alexander Draymond is the star of a great show on Netflix. It's called The Last Kingdom. On this show, Alexander plays a Viking. So you're you're literally not going to find a guy who is more stereotypically masculine. But I've gotten to know Alexander recently, and he's also incredibly thoughtful. I met him because he's now engaged to an old friend of mine, Allison Williams, who's also an actor. You might know Allison from the recent mega hit movie, Megan, and also the hit HBO show, Girls. Anyway, I've known Allison for quite a while, and now she's got a relationship and a baby with Alexander Draymond. I asked Alexander to come on the show, as I mentioned at the top, as a kind of experiment. So a little bit of context here. Uh, We've been thinking about changing the way we do our Friday bonuses instead of just posting um, guided meditations, which, by the way, we will continue to do. We're also going to start bringing on different kinds of guests and having shorter conversations about what notable people do to be happy. You know, usually on this show, we talk to meditation teachers and scientists and occasionally a celebrity, but we're hoping that in this new shorter format, we'll be able to talk to all different kinds of people. So, you know, athletes, actors, business leaders, you name it. But you're, of course, thinking, Dan, this is not Friday. It's Monday. So what's going on? Of course, you're right. Initially, I thought Alexander would be the guinea pig for this new Friday bonus format we're going to play with. However, as you're going to hear, he was just too damn interesting. So uh, we're doing a full episode instead. We cover a lot of ground in this conversation. Marriage, parenting, anger, therapy, sleep, human connection, meditation, masculinity, and uh, how to show your body on Netflix without developing body dysmorphism. We also talk a lot about his show, which is awesome, although it is coming to an end. Just a few days ago, Netflix posted the series finale. It's a movie-length episode that wraps up the whole story. If you're going to check it out, I actually recommend you start from the beginning and watch the whole show because it's really good. And for the record, I liked the show before I ever met Alexander. Just one quick note, since we initially thought this was going to be part of this new format for our Friday bonuses, I asked him to draw up a list of three things that are non-negotiable when it comes to his happiness. So that's where the interview starts, but then it it just really just goes off in lots of fascinating directions from there. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. I got to tell you, I feel so much better when I talk about my anxiety instead of keeping it bottled up. There's an expression that I first heard from the great researcher and also Zen practitioner Robert Waldinger, never worry alone. Our temptation many times is to keep it bottled up, but the data really show that the people who do the best in life, who live the longest and are the happiest, have strong relationships with people with whom they can talk about whatever's going on in their lives. And for me, therapy is part of that. If you're thinking of starting therapy, you might give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash happier today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash happier. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected after investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns. T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or T-Mobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile, third line free on essentials via monthly bill credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. Audible lets you enjoy all your audio entertainment in one app. You will always find the best of what you love or something new to discover. They offer an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from bestsellers and new releases to celebrity memoirs, mysteries and thrillers, motivation, wellness, business, and more. 
I've been checking out recently is called Our Share of Night. It's technically, I guess, a horror, but it's definitely literature. I mean, it's incredibly well-written, absolutely fascinating. And it really does rhyme with some of the themes that we explore uh, on this show. Highly recommend it, although I'm only uh, through the the first 15, 20% of it, but already I highly recommend it. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 10% or text 10% to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash 10%. Alexander Draymond, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Dan Harris. So weird to formally bring you in like <laughs> like I've never met you before. All right, we're going to try something new today. You're very gamely playing guinea pig, so I appreciate that. I'm very much game for anything you throw at me. I appreciate that. So the three non-negotiables for you when it comes to keeping your shit together, let's go through them one at a time. What's number one? <laughs> number one, I think, is sleep. Yeah. And some people don't need as much of it. I do. When we were shooting The Last Kingdom, for example, we shoot on a surprisingly low budget, which means we shoot a lot in a small space of time. But you're kind of constantly on during that time. You don't have much time off. And some people manage to still go out at night and go for a drink and party a little bit. Like for me, the discipline of getting enough sleep overrules it all because I know that I can't make it through seven, eight months of a shoot without that. Does that make you unpopular with the rest of the cast and crew? No, we have a great relationship. And I, it's not like I never go out, but when I can, I do and I love it. But I only do it when I know that I can catch up afterwards. How much do you need to sleep? My sweet spot is eight hours. Here's my thing about sleep, because I struggle with sleep personally. I used to wear one of those aura rings, and do you know what those are? I just got given one, and I haven't really explored it yet, but I'm curious. It's a very cool, and so if anybody from Aura is listening, I have no disrespect at all. It's a very cool technology. It's a ring you wear all the time, and it tracks lots of things about your body. But I found that I was getting really obsessive about sleep, and that the obsession was stopping me from sleeping. That makes sense. Does that ever happen to you? It can happen when I know that I have to get up, I have something important yes. to do, and right. I have to get enough sleep. And then you can get into that anxiety cycle of not being able to fall asleep because of that. However, funnily enough, just because I use the example of filming The Last Kingdom, towards the beginning of my career as an actor, I found that some of the best work I did was when I didn't have enough sleep. Because... Mm. When you're so tired, you don't really examine what you're doing in the moment and you just leave yourself alone and you just do it. And eventually you learn how to do that and still get enough sleep. But at the beginning, that actually helped, especially for emotional scenes where you can be nervous about, can you get yourself to that point emotionally where you need to be in order to deliver? That can help. Yeah. So being sleep deprived can make you raw in a way that can help you in scenes that if you're fully slept, you might be a little more self-conscious. Yeah, correct. Yeah. There's a very therapeutic quality to doing this podcast because I say things to you and you basically formulate it back to me in a way that is more concise and sounds better. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's what I mean. I wish I could have said it that way. <laughs> Do you know what that is? Do you know what I'm doing? I know that my therapist does it every now and okay. again. <laughs> therapists do it. Re good therapists do it really well. It's a hack that I picked up. And I, I, when I say hack, that makes it sound like a manipulation technique, which it isn't. Sure, sure. Although I guess in a positive sense, it kind of is. But it's called reflective listening. And I learned it because I was a bad listener, reasonably good broadcaster, but not a very good interpersonal communicator. And so I, I hired these communications coaches who've actually been on this show, Mudita Nisker and Dan Klerman. Shout out to Dan and Mudita. They're amazing. And one of the many tools they taught me was something called reflective listening. So if somebody says something to me, not all the time, because you don't want to use it too much because it can be like a technique and it could come off as annoying, but not all the time. But when somebody says something, it feels like... Either it's very important to them and I can tell that they want to feel heard mm -hmm. or 
if it maybe just deserves a little bit more clarification, I will just repeat it back to them very concisely in my own language. First of all, I don't mind it at all. I think it's genius. And <laughs> I'm definitely <laughs> going to use it going forward. Use it in your marriage. I'm telling you, in my marriage, it has made a huge difference. I hear my wife talk specifically about this thing, mm -hmm. reflective listening, mm -hmm. when she tells other people that I'm less of an asshole now than I used to be. It makes so much sense. And on top of it, it also just clarifies that you've understood the yes. other person correctly. Yes. Yeah. All right. So what's number two on your list? Number two is learning, I would say. Learning whatever it is and however small it may be, just getting that sense of achievement and the feeling of self-worth it gives you, the thrill it gives you. And I think that's also why I love my work so much, because ideally you're always being challenged. And when you overcome the challenge, you can only do that by having learned something new. And I just know that I'm happier when I learn something. Somebody on my team, it was either Justine or Lauren, one of the producers on my team, was pitching me on a potential guest the other day. And I'm probably going to mangle this, but I think it's close enough. This was a guest who's an expert in memory and also the best ways to stave off decline in memory. And one of the most important things in terms of maintaining your memory and brain health over the long term is consistently learning new things. Yeah, that would make sense. So what do you do, if learning's important to you, what do you do to continue learning? You're not, it's not like you got a ton of spare time, going to be married, you have a little kid, and you work a lot. So how do you learn on the regular? As I said, learning can be anything. I learn when I practice sports. When I do jujitsu, I learn new techniques. I learn from my work constantly because every character you develop is going to be doing something that you haven't done before or that you're not as familiar with as you need to be. If you're playing somebody who's an expert in that field, you learn about the time period they lived in. You learn about the social norms, the social structure they lived in, the political structure, etc., and the physicality of them. And so there's so much there. And that's why I feel like you're not allowed to be bored in this world because there's just so much to do. And so much to look at and see for the first time and take in. You mentioned having a child. Like, that's a constant learning curve all the time. A learning and a relearning because you relearn with them and about them yes. and what's best for them. And you figure out what works, what doesn't work. Yeah, it's a constant learning curve, I think. How old is Arlo now? A year and a half. Is he talking much? Oh, yeah. I only speak French to him because I want him to have that additional language for free. And I heard that it's better if one person sticks to one language. And so he has certain words he only says in English, certain words he only says in French, certain words that he makes up. And you understand, like, for example, his word for music or song is yayo, because... <laughs> yayo. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> so what children, in my experience, will teach you is all of the stuff that you're most embarrassed about and thought you were hiding successfully, they mm -hmm. see right through it and will call you out on it. You're not quite at that age yet with Arlo, but in my experience, they become PhDs in your flaws. Can you give me an example? Just the other day, I was teaching Alexander to do layups in basketball, and I was trying to really emphasize to him that he doesn't need to be tentative, he can drive right to the hoop. And he looked at me and said, you're giving me a boring, inspirational speech. <laughs> and I was like, that's what I do for a fucking living. <laughs> and he comes to my lectures with me. When if I'm going to give a speech, he comes with me. So that was a very deliberate use of words, because he's basically mocking what but I But he's also exceptionally smart, exceptionally perceptive. I'm not surprised that he throws stuff like that at you. I don't know if it's because he's excessively smart or perceptive. I don't, I, it's impossible to measure your own child or to have any objectivity on your own child. But I, what I can tell you is that he knows how to throw a dagger. Yeah, I look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you, you were talking a little bit about learning through playing Utrecht on The Last Kingdom. And I guess my question for you is, how, how historically accurate is the show? Well, first of all, maybe you could just describe the plot, the basics of the plot for people. And then I'm curious, having watched it, is that roughly speaking what was happening at that time in the UK? 
Roughly speaking, yes. So it's based on a series of books written by Bernard Cornwell. And it is a story set against the backdrop of, quote unquote, the creation of England. So during the time of Alfred the Great, who is said to have been the first king to have had that vision of a unified England. And in his lifetime, he was never able to realize that vision, but his grandson, King Ethelstan, made that happen during the Battle of Brunenburg, which was the last great battle that is said to have unified England. And all the battles and all these rulers are historical figures. Uhtred, as a character, Uhtred existed 200 years later and was actually the Lord of Bebenburg, which is nowadays Bambra Castle. It still exists. But so during that time, he is a fictional character and the story is told through his eyes. So roughly, yes, it's historically accurate, but there are, of course, a lot of liberties that have been taken in the way that Uhtred is weaving in and out of that story. Very skillfully, I think, the liberties, because it feels, I don't know anything, but it feels real to me. The story is clearly fictional, but when I'm watching it, it feels like I'm watching something like a document of that period of time. Just for the listeners who are unfamiliar with the story of Alexander's character, Uhtred, is that he's born from British parents, yeah, but he's raised born by Vikings. Saxon and raised as a Dane, his biological parents get killed by Danish invaders, and he gets kidnapped, but then becomes part of that family and is raised as a Dane and believes in the Norse gods and this whole battle between Christianity and paganism. That's also one of the major themes of the series. I have a million other questions about the show. I want to keep going with your list, though, and we'll come back to the show just to say I highly recommend it to the listeners. It's been described as the thinking man's Game of Thrones, which is an incredibly high compliment because Game of Thrones was amazing. So it is amazing. I'm a big fan of Game of Thrones. Yes. <laughs> I, took your, I took your comment in the spirit in which you intended it. It's a great show. That's basically my message right now. But anyway, let's Thank get you. back to your list. What's the third thing on your list? Thank you for the PR. Yeah. The next thing on my list would be connection, human connection with First of all, with my partner, who you know, Allison. And Allison has something that I see as a superpower. She really taught me this, which is that she has like a, something I call zero space policy. So I think when you're in a relationship with somebody, it is so easy to drift apart and to have a little thing that upsets you and you don't really voice it, but it stays there and it creates a little bit of a distance between you. And then maybe there's another thing and that distance becomes bigger. And also just whenever something like that happens over time, that little seed just grows into something more momentous anyway on its own. And I'm not saying we can't have space if we ask for it. That's definitely the case. But the unconscious drifting away is something that we work really hard to not let happen. And that has really worked wonders and is definitely most important factor to our relationship and what, what makes it work. That's super interesting. I'm going to step gingerly because Allison's not here to talk for herself. <laughs> and Allison, you're invited on the show anytime. I've known Allison for quite a while since she was very young. I remember the first time I met her, she was like in her early 20s, really? already very impressive. So I'm not going to I'm not going to ask anything from her perspective because she's not here to represent herself. But from your perspective, and I think having talked to you off mic personally, we may share a few things in common in terms of how we show up in relationships. Do you ever find zero space policy challenging? Oh in my that God, it's excruciating. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's excruciating. It's so hard because, especially as a guy, I think a lot of men function the same way. Like when we chew on a bone, we like to do it on our own. And yeah, my default is to just disappear within myself and just take that space. That's my comfort zone. So working against that natural desire to do that is really hard. And it's also really hard for her to get me back from that space yeah. because you need to be really brave to do that and go into that whatever it is that's going on but i sometimes have this dark force field around me and she needs to go in there to get me out of it and she always meets resistance but of course with time we get better 
and we know that the solution is not to stay in that space but to come back because once you're in that mode it's very easy to just spiral down meaning if you let a little germ of distance take root it can lead to holistic rot within the relationship i think so yeah and even if it's something that then gets swept aside because you move on and because you tell yourself that it's not important, it'll come back. And then you rehash it when you're discussing a different subject. And it just adds spice to whatever other subject you're, <laughs> you're discussing. And that spice doesn't need to be there. It's so interesting. Here I go, just making it all about me. But I'm going to go there. But at least it'll help you not feel alone on this. When you were speaking in Allison's voice about yourself, she describes you as having this dark force field, I believe was the term. I described myself as, okay. as having that, yeah. I've heard Bianca say similar things about me. Really? That especially pre-meditation days, mm -hmm. when I was working a very stressful job at ABC News and I was way too caught up in the politics of it and where I stood at any given moment, she would talk about me coming home with a scowl on my face. And for her, as somebody who, you know, and I think I can say this because she said it publicly, that it's easy for her to be made to feel, especially when she was younger, insecure, right? So she would read the look on my face as a referendum on my feelings about her when, in fact, I'm worrying about some shit Peter Jennings said to me at the office or whatever. And I think that... We have exactly the same dynamic. Okay. I know exactly what you mean. It's really hard not to take it personally. I've had to really be trained by going to couples counseling and having fights over the years. I think if I had heard you say what you just said... I don't know, even as recently as five years ago, I might have just gotten defensive. But now I recognize that everything you said is absolutely true. And how could the other person not take it personally? It's not that hard. Just calmly explaining to the person what's going on and assuring them it's not about them, it's about you. That's just like human interpersonal hygiene 101. Correct. It's not easy, though. Even knowing all of that, it's not easy to do. When you're in a mood. Yeah. Because when I'm angry, I just want to be angry. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. I just, I really enjoy being angry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can see that in your character in the show. Right. He's in pretty constant brooding mode. Oh, yeah. That's true. And that wasn't easy. I think I've had a long journey with anger. And I think I didn't really allow myself to be angry much. And that doesn't mean that I wasn't. But... I have had a whole journey with my anger and feeling like I'm, I'm allowing myself to be angry and that's okay. What was going on for you that you didn't feel like it was okay to be angry? That's a really good question. I can't really, I can't really put my finger on why I didn't feel like I was allowed to be angry because I, I certainly was. But I think I just didn't want to upset anybody around me. I wanted to make sure my mom was okay. But of course it does nothing because people around you can feel that you're upset. And I remember when I was, I think I was 18 or something. I had a lot going on in my life other than just being a teenager, which is a weird period anyway. But, you know, a lot of things that upset me and I didn't talk about them and I didn't let it out. Mm. And it was one night where I was in, in the car and... It was raining and I was so upset that I hit the gas on the car. I was luckily on a very lonely like country road. There was nobody else around, but I was going fast. And I knew that it was dangerous and I knew that it was wrong. But that anger inside me, it just felt so good to let it out. Mm -hmm. And I was going faster and faster. And then there was a dip in the road. And as I came out of the dip, the car left the road, just flew up in the air. And when I hit the road again, I lost control of the car and flipped five times and ripped out barriers on the side of the road. The car was totaled. I got out without a scratch. I don't know how, but that was a real wake-up call about how important it is to just talk. That's a harrowing story. Do you feel like it all got fixed because you learned your lesson then, or is that carried over into your grown-up life? I think nothing just gets fixed. 
Agreed. That's the crazy thing. You can live by these rules and by these goals that you set yourself, and you can thrive on that for a period of time, and then you can suddenly forget it. Just like with meditation, I've gone through a period in my life when I was meditating a lot and I was reading a lot about being in the moment, self-awareness and all of these things. And it was a time when I had finished theater school. I was working as a temp. I had very little money. I was not doing the thing that I was passionate about. I was trying to get acting jobs and, you know, audition after audition after audition. I, I didn't get where I wanted to get. And yet, it was one of the happiest times in my life. And I know that. And yet life happens and you get busy in a way that you didn't anticipate and you forget to do it one day and then you forget to do it the next day. And then suddenly you drift out of it and you forget about it again. And I think it's very similar with anger management. It's very similar with that space that we talked about in a relationship. All of these things you can know and forget again. And so I think it's so important to either have people that remind you of that Sometimes it's new people that you meet. You did that for me to a wonderful degree in the last couple of months. And of course, when we met, I had just become a dad. So it was difficult to get back into that mode of life right away. But you were a huge factor in getting me back on track in terms of meditation. So thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it. But yeah, so of course, it was a wake up call and it did help me to address the problem at the time. But it's something that I keep coming back to. I think you're pointing to something extremely important. I have a whole little wrap on this that I'll give it quickly. And I apologize to the listeners who've heard me say this before. But before you get annoyed, you listener, this is actually something you need to hear a million times. So deal with it. The word that we use currently is mindfulness. Mm. But the ancient Indian word in the language of Pali, P-A-L-I, that was spoken at or around the time of the Buddha, or at least around the time that the Buddha's teaching was written down, the original word was S-A-T-I, Sati. Mm -hmm. And we now translate it as mindfulness, but the original translation of Sati is actually remembering. You can hear amazing podcasts. You can read great books. You can go to an amazing lecture. You can do a whole meditation retreat for 10 days and learn life-changing stuff. But the way we are programmed is to just dip right back into the habit stream of acquisition and competition mm -hmm. and distraction and whatever it is. And so that's why the Buddha called his teachings against the stream. You need to just keep waking up. So you don't need to have a car crash per se every six weeks to remember that your anger needs to be let out instead of metabolized in a healthy way. But you do need to consistently practice a bunch of things in order yes. to cut against our habit patterns. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. It makes so much sense. And a friend of mine literally just spoke to me about this two days ago, about layering habits and connecting practices to habits that you have anyway. Yeah, there's some data around this behavior change. Science suggests that if you want to form a new habit, you can draft off of the momentum of an existing habit. Mm -hmm. So if you want to start meditating, you might try doing it right after you brush your teeth every night because yeah. you can take some of the momentum of the existing habit. Yeah. Is that in line with what you were saying? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. That's exactly what I was saying. And I've been doing this for years with some things. I'm sure we'll get to that later when you said you wanted to ask me about practices that I do. But yeah, absolutely. Coming up, Alexander Draymond talks about how having male friends makes his romantic relationship even better. The importance of therapy, of silliness, and of kindness. The weather is getting warmer. Time to ditch my jackets and sweaters for shorts and tees. I used to waste my money on clothing that would only last one season. That was until I found Quince. Now I've got high quality pieces that never go out of style that I will be wearing year after year. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow knit activewear. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings 
on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. I just made a big order at Quince.com. I got two pairs of sweatpants that I've just had for like a week, and I already love them. I'm wearing them all the time. Sweatpants are a huge deal to me uh, because I work from home and I want to look reasonably good, you know, in front of my wife and stuff, but uh, I want to be comfortable. And uh, the Quince sweatpants uh, do the trick. For me, the bottom line is uh, they've got good looking stuff at low prices. Not a bad recipe. You should go ahead and upgrade your wardrobe. Go to Quince.com slash happier for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash happier to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash happier. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash happier. Just go to Indeed.com slash happier right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash happier. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's do the practices now. Alexander is a very good student. I asked him, I gave him annoying <laughs> homework in advance to say, can you list the three things you do to stay happy? And he did, he listed the three things and then gave me a second list. It's very Buddhist. Buddhists love lists. I've got more on the human connection side. Oh, if you okay. Want well, let's do that first. Yes. So we were talking about the connection with partner, but there are others that are really important to mention connection with friends. And I think especially as a man, I've been so lucky to have connections or to have friendships with guys in my life that are, we can be vulnerable with each other. And I think that's a real blessing because I think a lot of guys don't get that because of the way they were brought up, because the way they're taught what's okay to do and what's not okay to do. And having guys in my life on whose shoulder I can cry when I need to has been one of the most wonderful things, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. Because it's one thing to confide into your partner and have that support, and that's when you're in a connected relationship, definitely the most important. But I think sometimes it's really important to feel that love from a friendship also. There was a guest on the show recently pointed out, and I think there are studies here, that marriages do better when the partners have independent friendships because no one person can do everything for you. And so it takes a lot of pressure off of a relationship if you've got other relationships in your life where you can work through issues. Yeah, I believe that. And I think one of the important practices is to set time aside to maintain those relationships. Because especially in the lifestyle that I think we both lead, we travel a lot. I've moved around so much in my life. And there are friendships that are extremely important to me, but most of the time, these people are on the other side of the world. And so setting time aside, not to just text, but also to, to make the phone call and check in and see how they're doing is so important. And I'm not perfect at that at all, but I certainly strive to be. And then making new friends like you. There are certain people that I meet that make me excited about life. And I can't really say what it is, but when I met you, I felt that way. You know, it makes me, it's almost like it makes me giddy inside. You know, it inspires me, it invigorates me. And being open to these new relationships and friendships is really important to me. And I think one thing I want to add into that category is silliness is so important for my happiness because you know how certain people bring out certain things in you. And some of the times when I'm happiest in my life is when I'm with people 
where I can let my guard down, be completely myself. And usually when I'm completely myself, I'm pretty silly. I totally agree. I actually, first of all, thank you for the kind words. I feel the exact same way. And, you know, last night I was having dinner with a big group of friends and we were being ridiculous, just absolutely ridiculous. And that shit is magic. It is what we're designed for, right? So it's not esoteric magic. It is really how we evolved. And if you don't get it, even if you're an introvert, if you don't get it in the right dose for you based on your wiring, correct, you are likely to suffer. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I would add, I think, to stay connected is the importance of therapy in my life. As an actor, you have a team of people that work with you. You have your agent and manager and entertainment lawyer and publicist. And one of the really important members of my team, I would say, is my therapist. And his importance is felt in my work as well as in my private life. And I think in terms of connection with your friends, with your family and with your partner, having that person to talk to and to coach you to a certain degree is such a huge luxury. This is a, maybe an unfair question, but it's a brief question with a long answer, maybe an impossibly long one, which is what do you get out of therapy? I think the ability to reconnect with myself, with the people around me, and with what's important to me. That's what I can tell you when you put me on the spot like that. It's probably something I need to think about longer. When you say reconnecting with yourself, where I take it, and this is probably projection, but maybe it's right, is I can say stuff to my therapist that I can't say to anybody else. And so just putting it out there gets it out of my head. Seeing another person be able to handle whatever wild thing I'm hurling at him actually just makes me feel way better, even if he's not solving the problem. Yes, and that is definitely part of it. And I, because of these friendships that I've spoken to you about just earlier, I feel like there's nothing I couldn't say to my best friend. I can't think of a single thing that I could not say to him, however dark or embarrassing it may be. And I'm so grateful for that. And I don't feel like I need my therapist just for that. But having a professional assessment of the situation is so helpful. I think a lot of the things that people struggle with in relationships or just going through life is childhood trauma and the repercussions that has throughout your life. And so having somebody who can take on the role of a primary caregiver at certain points can work wonders, you know? Having my therapist be able to take the role of my dad at a certain point and say, I'm really proud of you. It makes me emotional to think about it. It means so much when you need to hear that. And so having somebody who knows, who knows when you need to hear those things and who can say them to you. And same with, we've been talking about anger, like somebody who is comfortable with my anger and who can see that ugly side of me and who still will give me their respect is amazing. You know, it's life-changing. Nobody has perfect parents, and I know you love your parents. Given that nobody has perfect parents, if you can have a therapist who can step in and make up for whatever deficiencies are there, we're both parents. Neither of us is a perfect parent, so we will have deficiencies too that hopefully yeah. some therapist can make up for. They keep me up at night. <laughs> <laughs> what am I not doing right? How am I fucking him up? Yes, uh, a lot of things I could say about that, but not about how you're fucking yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere in the last 10 minutes, you said something about men mm. that I just made a mental note that I wanted to bring back up with you. I mean, I, th I think you have a very cool opportunity, and I've said this to you before, but you are in the culture as an avatar of masculinity. You play a Viking. Okay, granted, technically, you're a Saxon, but you're raised by Vikings, right. and you certainly look right. like a Viking on the show. And we live in a culture where it's not necessarily, it's not easy as a guy to step up and say, yeah, I go to therapy. It's really important for me to have male friends that I can cry to as a figure in the culture, as a husband, as a father of a young boy. Do you feel some responsibility to model a different kind of masculinity or am I just throwing this at you for the first time? That's a good question. I think it is 
insane that we are not taught about the human condition and machinations of the mind at a young age. It is insane that this is not something that is part of every curriculum at school, how certain things affect you and what repercussions they have on your life, on your relationships, how you can project certain things that are really your own onto somebody that you're close to and how that affects them and what repercussions that has on your relationships and all of these things that become clear to you when you work with a good therapist are things that everybody should know about because it would literally make everybody's lives better. It would make everybody's relationships better, whether it's on a personal level or at work. So if I can in some way contribute to opening people up to the idea of giving that a shot, then I will very gladly take on that responsibility. I think it's an amazing opportunity you have. And I'm proud of you to watch you take advantage of it. It's an incredible service you can provide because there is so much emotional stunting among men, myself included, I'm not saying this with any judgment, that can be counteracted by having positive role models out there in the culture. That's my opinion. Yeah, I'm not saying it's easy to do, but I think it's important to do. Well, yeah, it's not something that I took a conscious decision of doing. And you hinted at this when you invited me to the podcast, and I feel very honored by it. But I think it's something that's so important to talk about. And I think destigmatizing that is of ultimate importance. Yeah. I think this interview is going to help in that very regard. So thank you. Great. Keep on working down your list. <laughs> okay. Well, the last point of my human connection list is kindness and the importance of kindness towards people that are in your life, but also just towards strangers. It is so much fun to just be kind to somebody that you have no connection to, that you don't need to be kind to for any particular reason. It's just fun. It can get me out of a bad mood. It can really make my day. It adds so much to my happiness. And I think if you strive to operate with kindness as much as possible, then you are going to live a happier life because your work environment will be better. And you will have people that are going to support you when you need support. Cannot recommend it highly enough. Kindness is one of these words that it's easy to overlook because, I don't know, it's they knit it onto throw pillows and use it as a hashtag on Instagram. And it can come off as in like an empty bromide. But sure. again, ton of data here. The better your relationships, the better everything is going to go for you. One thing I know about you from talking to Allison is that you'll talk to anybody and you'll make friends with strangers. And if you're staying at a hotel for a long time, like you'll get to know the whole staff. And that's a real, I don't know if we could call it a practice. It's just something you do naturally or deliberately. I don't know. I guess what I'm building to here is a question, which is, do you ever feel like you need to put up some boundaries? Yeah. I think that just comes with the job that I do. And I think the more successful you are at that job, the more boundaries you have to put up. And it's a sad fact, really. I'd like to not have to do that. But I think boundaries are extremely important in all aspects of life. If you're not conscious of them, you don't know when they're overstepped. And once it's too late and it happened, then it's very hard to come back from that. So you've had moments where maybe you let people in and it didn't go well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's giving me a look that says, I'm not sure I want to talk about this. Yes, it's fine. That suffices as an answer. <laughs> yes, I've made some poor choices with very good intentions. But to be honest, I don't know that I wouldn't do it again because I think what you can reap by sowing seeds of kindness is worth every defeat that you can encounter along the way. I completely agree. I've had the opposite problem, which is that my inclination is to be frosty. And so I've had to unlearn that, or I'm trying to unlearn that. The more I unlearn it, the more I see how correct you are. And again, the more I have scientists on the show who talk about the power of what one scientist, I believe it's Barbara Fredrickson, talks about the power of micro interactions, that if you can 
pepper your day with, you know, positive interactions with your barista or just a cab driver or whatever it is, that will have a measurable impact on your happiness. And I think you're doing it naturally. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's not a conscious decision that I took. I just do it because it's fun. Coming up, Alexander talks about the importance of exercise in his life, how he tries not to get overly attached to his body, looking a certain way, even though he has to put his body on camera, uh, which leads then to a whole discussion between the two of us on the Buddhist idea of non-self. We also talk about what his meditation practice looks like now that he has a toddler around the house and what it's like to wrap up his show, The Last Kingdom, and what might be next for him. I love cats. I make no secret of that. We've got four cats. But here's the thing about felines. They poop a lot. You need kitty litter and you need that kitty litter to do the job, which is why I'm proud to recommend Tidy Care Alert, which has long lasting ammonia control. So your house or your apartment or your yurt or wherever you live does not smell like you have four cats or however many cats you happen to have. No judgment here. It's low dust and lightweight, which means no lugging heavy bags of cat litter up the stairs, and it's from the brand most often recommended and personally used by veterinarians. Tidy Care Alert uses color-changing crystals to detect potential concerns and help put your mind at ease. Let Tidy Care Alert help keep an eye on your cat's health. It's spring, and that means it's graduation season, and I've got an idea for an incredibly fun graduation gift or party favor. Did you know that you can get personalized M&Ms? You can choose from over 20 colors and add your graduate's name, graduation-themed graphics, or photos, which are printed directly on the candy. I recently got a sample of some of these personalized M&Ms. Uh, they showed up in my mailbox. They got my face on them, which makes it a little bit awkward for me to eat them personally. I'm doing it anyway. The M&Ms I got also include the words 10% happier, to which I have a deep attachment. I was kind of thrilled uh, when I saw them. I was wondering if they were a gift from somebody on the uh, 10th anniversary of the 10% Happier book. Turns out they weren't. They were a gift from uh, M&Ms, who are now a sponsor of this show. So thank you, M&Ms. Uh, for sponsoring this show and for the delicious treat. You can visit MMS.com to create your own unique custom gifts and memorable party favors for graduations, weddings, birthdays, and more. That's MMS.com. Use code HAPPIER to receive 15% off your next order. All right, I want to actually ask you about exercise. Now, is exercise on your list of practices? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I told you before we started rolling that I was, I just picked a random episode last night just to get myself back mm -hmm. into the last kingdom. And there's some scene where somebody throws some water at you to wake you up out of bed oh, yeah. and you're not wearing a shirt and you have like a 24 pack. <laughs> and I guess my question is, what does your exercise routine look like? And how do you not get into body dysmorphism and getting overly neurotic or obsessive about how you look, especially since you're going to be filmed and put on Netflix? I got to say, I'm really lucky in that area because I really enjoy physical exercise and I really enjoy eating healthy foods. I don't have to make myself do that. So that's a huge plus. Of course, there are so many days, especially while I'm shooting the show, when there's so little time and when I'm exhausted and then I have to force myself to work out. But I really just have to force myself to start. Once I get started, I feel joy. I get it that you feel joy when you're exercising and that you don't mind eating a bowl of kale on the regular. But if you're going to be filmed with your torso uncovered, how do you not get obsessive about how you look? And does that not set you up for struggle as you get older and inevitably the body changes? That's a really good question. I had end of 2018, I think I had a sparring accident and I bent my leg the wrong way at the knee towards the side and I had to get meniscus surgery. And so during that time, the physical side was just gone. I couldn't do anything for a certain amount of time. And I really had like a, a bit of a reckoning with myself because it's so part of my identity. I really asked myself, like, if I'm not my body anymore, what am I? 
You know, it's a, it's a, <laughs> that's a deep question. It's a bit of a deep question, but it's an important one to ask yourself. I think, what am I if I'm in an accident and my face gets damaged, distorted? Can I still do my job? Do people still feel the same way about me? And in the end, you're going to lose it anyway. Exactly. And so if you don't want to get into this space of where you're not comfortable growing old, you're going to have to find some other stuff that you can hold on to. And so I saw a video once of somebody whose name I can't remember who, who said, what defines you? What are you? And this person said, well, it's easy to think that your, your thoughts and feelings, but your thoughts can change. Your feelings change by the minute. You're not your body because I think it takes about seven years for every single cell to be replaced in your body. So you are physically not the same person you were seven years ago by any means. The only thing that is constant is your awareness. Hearing that was really important to me because I grew up in lots of different places and with different languages. And so it feels like I've had different lives. And sometimes it's really difficult to reconcile these lives and realize that they're all the same person, that this was all me. Because sometimes I think back to when I was a kid at some point, and I'm like, this world is so different from the world that I live in now. How is that still me? But then when I think back to my awareness, I can connect with that. And it gives me that through line back. I think that's why it's so important to practice mindfulness because it brings you back to that which is really all you have for sure and this is where things get really weird and i have not really had this experience that much but if at the deep end of the pool of mindfulness you'll see that you don't even have awareness that there's no continuity to that either oh my god i'm not there yet <laughs> <laughs> they call that but, the rolling up the mats stage wow because it's terrifying and i think you can get to that realization pretty quickly if you take a large enough dose of psilocybin or lsd <laughs> you realize that there is no alexander you can put your finger on there is no core nugget of you and sometimes that's called ego death that's a very terrifying realization. And have you had that? Have you felt that? I had it when I was, my first panic attack ever was when I smoked, I, I used to smoke weed when I was a kid and I was remember being in high school and smoking weed and every once in a while, it was like Russian roulette when I smoked weed. Sometimes it was fine. And then every once in a while, I just realized that the insubstantiality of my ego and, and how right now it's now, but no, now it's now. And now it's now, and there isn't anything to hold on to. I don't know if I'm even articulating this correctly, but that totally was- Totally get what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, that terrified me. I've had, as a grown-up on meditation retreats, where things slow down enough, and you, or actually, paradoxically, chatter slows down in your mind, but your ability to notice all of what's coming through your senses speeds up. So it feels like you're really able to notice hearing, seeing, smelling, thinking very rapidly. You can see how rapidly your mind is cycling through all of these inputs. In other words, I've been on meditation retreat for seven or eight days and I have a moment where the chatter really comes down and I see how rapid the mind moves, how quickly everything's changing. There can't be some solid me because everything's changing all the time. And seeing it in that context, in my late 40s, or early 50s, and not stoned, and I've spent seven days to get to this point, it's mm -hmm. a little less terrifying. Mm -hmm. But for some people, even that can be, and maybe they're just seeing it in a more vivid way than I've had the luxury of seeing it. But for a lot of people, that, that can be terrifying too, because you're just seeing that the one thing you thought was solid, your sense of self, that's a wisp too. That's, that's like, a, as the Buddha would say, a bubble in a stream. What did you get after that? There's this great story about, I think it's a great story, but it's a Zen story about this old Zen monk who's been meditating forever and he's not yet enlightened. He decides to go up onto the top of a mountain and meditate till he gets enlightened. And he's walking up the mountain and some older monk is walking down mm -hmm. and the older monk is enlightened mm -hmm. and he's carrying a bundle of sticks. And the uh, unenlightened monk says to the enlightened monk, what's enlightenment like? And the guy drops the bag of sticks, letting go. And then the unlightened guy said, well, what's next? Which is basically your question. Right. And he just picks up the sticks and keeps walking. And what I take from that is you see the illusion of your ego, of the sense of self. In my case, it's not an abiding permanent vision. Like I forget it all the time. But the point is to go back into the world 
and be less of a dick and to help other people. And so that that's my reading of that story. And that's, I think, my answer to your question, mm-hmm. but I don't know if that's... Does okay. answer my question. Okay. Yeah, thank you. The point is, if you can see that this ego that's giving you so much suffering isn't real, then you don't have to suffer as much. Right. And what do you do after that? You help other people suffer less. Yeah. That's my rough understanding of Buddhism in a nutshell. Thanks for that. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm, <laughs> hopefully it's accurate. <laughs> uh, so are you meditating with some regularity? I am, yeah. I am. I haven't been able to integrate it into my daily routine to the extent that I would like to do it. But basically, every time that I wake up before my son does, the first thing I do is meditate. Once he's up, there's no meditation. <laughs> Except for if you're awake and aware while you're playing with him. And that is the next thing I was going to say. Actually, that is for the like sit down, breathing, all of these things we've talked about type of meditation. But then the other type of meditation, and this is again something that I have you to thank for, is just making a point of doing it as much as possible throughout the day. And actually doing it with my son Mm -hmm. is bliss. So during that time that I talked about earlier, I used to start every day with meditating. I always made sure that I had a flower in in my room of some sort. One of the meditations I did was just looking at this flower on a macro level and just taking it all in. And doing that with my son sounds creepy, (laughs) but it's so blissful because first of all, it's so easy to see the beauty in a child. But then they also teach you so much about that. The other day, he woke up from a nap, and he is a psycho about sleeping without any light. And so we were traveling, and we had done something which we used to make fun of other people for, but we had put trash bags over the windows to make sure (laughs) that there was no light in the room so he could sleep. And the heating vent was on and was blowing out air, and a piece of a trash bag was floating a little bit on the window. And he sees it, looks at it, and points at it, and goes, wow. <laughs> and seeing that joy in his eyes from that trash bag is just, that's all the teaching that you need, really. But it, it is true. If you can go through life with that openness to being struck by beauty, you are in a state of mind that lets in happiness, I think. I had a happiness researcher on the show a couple months ago, Dacker Keltner. I'll post a link to it in the show notes for anybody who's listening. But Dacker is an eminent happiness expert. And he said, if there was one emotion you could cultivate that would lead to happiness, it would be awe. So Mm -hmm. the attitude of wow, it's like something a Zen master might say to you if you said, what's one word that you would approach life with? Yeah. And one of my acting teachers used to say, let yourself fall in love every day. And it works wonders, you know? You can fall in love with anything, everything, anyone, if you're open to it, Mm -hmm. I think. Before I let you go, can we talk a little bit about this series finale? Absolutely, yeah. So you've done five seasons of The Last Kingdom. It's culminating with a movie or a feature-length piece of entertainment that's gonna be posted on Netflix on April 14th, 2023. Thank you very much. What should we know about it? Going back to Bernard Cornwall, who wrote the books the series is based on, he explains it in a way that I love, which is when you look at Gone with the Wind, you have the big story, which is the war, and the small story, which is Scarlet's story, and the stories are flipped. The big story becomes the small story, and the small story becomes the big story. And in The Last Kingdom, it's the same thing. Uhtred's story is the small story against the big story of the creation of England. And so the five seasons were about Uhtred's story wrapping up and him getting back his birthright of Bebenbur, this fortress that he fights for throughout the series. And the movie is what wraps up the big story and the creation of England. And it ends with the Battle of Brunanburh, which was the battle which is said to have unified England. I'm excited to watch it. What's it like for you? Because this has been a huge part of your life to have this series winding down. Obviously, it's been bittersweet because I miss the people that I work with so much. The crew, the actors, the production team, so many of them have become close friends and I'm in touch with many of them, but we will never be together in that configuration again. 
all of us. And having that, that microcosm, that world, is something that I will miss dearly. Playing Uhtred has, as an actor, given me such an amazing opportunity to explore every emotion a human being can have. This guy has gone through everything <laughs> again and again. I've learned so much from that as an actor about my craft. I've gotten the opportunity to direct, which is a whole other, you know, I've learned a new profession in that time, which I'm so grateful for. I'm also ready to take on the next thing. I think I've given it the time that it deserved and I have gotten so much back from it and more. And I think it finishes at the right time. It finishes at the time when I've become a father or when it's a new chapter in my own life. I'm sad for it to end and I'm really excited for the next chapter of my career to start. Let me ask a question that maybe like ties this all together. Maybe it won't, maybe it'll suck, but I'll try. <laughs> okay. The driving motivation for Utrecht is home. Yes. And a huge part of what we've been talking about today in terms of your driving motivation for doing life better, for being happier, revolves around home. Mm -hmm. And I think I can see it in, in your life too. The child of divorce, uh, an itinerant actor. Now you're really settled down in many ways, if not geographically, because I know you may move at some point, but you have a unit. Yeah. And... So I wonder if there's something there to riff on before we close. My God, that is so perceptive of you. My Absolutely. producer gave me the idea. <laughs> well, it's so true. I've discovered that there's a very strange parallel in the jobs that I take on and my personal life. And that happens in a way that that is impossible for me to predict. I have noticed, like filming The Last Kingdom, for example, Uhtred has gone through things that are so strangely parallel to what I was going through in my own life at that time. And I could not for the life of you tell me which was the chicken and which was the egg, like what came first. And in a weird way, Utrid's journey and his debate and struggle about finding a home and what that means and what a home is has been a huge parallel in my own life and has been a huge part of my relationship with Allison as well. Because the question of whether a home is a physical place or whether it's a person or a unit is something that has been a big topic for us because I've been very used to living a very nomadic lifestyle. And for me, the idea of a home was a group of people, the pursuit of my passion. But I think through Allison, I've I've learned that it also needs to be a place to a certain degree. And I think when you become a dad, you have to create a bit of a nest for your child. And I feel very grateful that I've been able to explore that topic so much with this character, because it made me think a lot about what it means for myself to have a home and the importance of the different factors in that. And just as he has found a home, like you said, I found a home. It is the unit that I've created and the family that, that I've created. And so funnily, I think Utrecht's story wraps up in him having found a home at the same time as I feel like I found a home and a solid base for the next chapter in my life. It's a nice place to leave it. Yeah. This was really fun. Really fun for me. You crushed it. Not that you need my validation, but you did a great job. I feel very honored to have been asked to partake in this podcast because I'm a big fan. It's added a lot to my life. So thank you for that. Thank you for letting me come on. Pleasure. Thanks again to Alexander. <laughs> I really appreciate him participating in this experiment. Gone right. Thank you to you for listening. And thanks most of all to everybody who works so hard on this show. 10% Happier is produced by Tara Anderson. Go Tara. She took the lead on this episode on short notice. So thank you for that, Tara. Gabrielle Zuckerman, DJ Kashmir, Justine Davey, and Lauren Smith. Our supervising producer is Marissa Schneiderman, and Kimmy Regler is our managing producer. Scoring and mixing by Peter Bonaventure of Ultraviolet Audio. We'll see you all on Wednesday for a brand new episode with Dr. Gabor Mate. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. 
Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast, American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.